Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Lisa Zuniga. It's June 20th, 2023. We're at Erratic Oaks Vineyard. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, the first question, as you know, is why wine? Why not? Why not? Um, I, I think that um, I did not have a path in life like a lot of other people do. So I just worked retail for a while. I had a child pretty young. Um, I decided to go visit a friend from high school in Temecula. I've grown up here all my life, but never really got into the wine thing. And so she drove me out to a friend's winery. And I asked the person, I said, can I go stand in the vineyard? And the winemaker said, well, yeah. And so I went out and stood in that vineyard in Temecula, California and thought, I want to do this. I want to do this. And that would have been like 93, I think. And so I just kept doing what I was doing and it was always in the back of my head. Um, And then in 2004, in the fall, I took a online course at Chemeketa, just general vit, um, took some winemaking classes just for the fun of it and went into Firesteed one day. It would have been like January of 2004 and um, just said, I want a job, I want a job. And the person that was working there was the winemaker's wife, Shelly. And um, Shelly's like, oh, okay, well, let's talk to you. And you know, we sat down, we talked, and she called me a couple days later and said, well, do you wanna work in the tasting room? And I didn't really want to, but I knew that was my way in because I'm, I'm not the person you want in the tasting room. I'm just not, um, I did fine, but um, it's just not where I belonged. So I did the tasting room for almost a year. And then I went to the winemaker, Brian Croft, and said, I want to work production. And at that point, it was all guys over there. No women were working in production. Um, and I think Shelly was the only one that had periodically. And so Brian's like, OK, we'll give you a chance. And Pete, Pete was the seller master. And they were both like, OK, we'll give you a chance. And so my first harvest was 2005, and I was hooked. I was hooked. Um, Just the, it's so fast paced. Um, It's dirty and it's grungy and it's fun and it's cold. And at that point we were working like 14 hours a day, 15 hours a day. Um, It's not so much the norm anymore, but back when I started, that was normal. and just that fast paced, always going, but knowing that you were doing something super cool, even though I wasn't sure of the whole process yet, you could just tell that there was just something soul grabbing involved in winemaking. Um, and so getting out of the tasting room and doing production was really good for me. And we were a really tight knit crew. Um, I didn't ever get treated like a girl, which was great. I mean, I was just part of the crew. Um, and then a few months later, we brought some girls in, or, or a few years later, excuse me, some girls came in to work too, but for the first couple of years, it was just me. Um, and I, I think just being around people that wanted to be there all the time drew me in even further. 
to that point. But then I started, my body started kind of breaking down physically because I could not pull four inch must hose up the stairs anymore over those tanks. Yeah, people were helping me, but you gotta, you have to hold up your end. And I felt like I could not do that so much anymore. Um, and so I just kept talking to the winemaker and saying, you know, I don't, I don't know how much longer I can do this physically. And so he put me in the bottling line. Um, <laughs> so I started working the bottling line and that was my least favorite position, just so you know. Never wanted to go back, only did it for one season. Um, and then because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, I wanted to go back to production because it's comfortable familiar and I ended up going up to talk to the winemaker again and he was up there with a gentleman named Luke Padotti and they were speaking about how they were going to replace the vineyard manager's position who had left and he'd been here for a long time with Flynn and with Firesteed and I remember looking at Brian and saying I want to do that and Brian just looked at me and kind of laughed and blew me off um, when I left Luke looked at Brian and said, why not? She wants to, let's bring her in. And so I got called back up about a week later and Brian's like, we're gonna put you in the vineyard. I had no experience. We only had 33 acres planted, um, but I'm like, I'm gonna do this and I am gonna rock it. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna have some fun. I don't mind being outside. I love to drive, I'm a driver. So the first thing I learned how to do was drive tractor. Um, and after learning that, it kind of empowered me a little bit more to feel better about what I was learning out here because I was learning as I was going, you know, I didn't, I had almost no knowledge, but I had Luke behind me. And so he would spend two days a week with me and he's such a great guy and he has so much information and he taught me everything I know. I would call him at 10 o'clock at night crying because something's wrong in the vineyard. And you know, for me, that's like the end of it. I'm, I'm done, I'm just, what am I gonna do? And Luke would always just be like, Lisa, everything's gonna be okay. You know, you'll, you'll be surprised at how well this is gonna turn out. And for like the first seven years, that poor guy, I just, you know, when I look back at it now, I think to myself, oh my God, I must've been driving him crazy. Um, and so as I got more comfortable, I started bringing other people in that could help me out. So Patty Skinkus from OSU came in. Um, she has hung with me through the whole thing. She also got all those phone calls at 10 o'clock at night saying, oh my God, I think I've ruined the vineyard. It's like one plant that I found out of, you know, 110,000 plants, I gotta walk to the one that's breaking down and then start crying in the vineyard. Um, because for me, I've never done anything like this in my life. I didn't ever think that I could excel to anything like this. Um, and so I would just stand out here probably, I still do it, but not as much. But there are some times when I will stand usually up here and look that way. The energy that these plants give off is unlike nothing I've ever felt in my life. And they offer so much to me that it kind of became my life. Um, I work seven days a week. I'll work 12, 16, 24 hours a day. Um, we have done like 27 hour days when we had rain coming and that we had issues and we just needed to spray. Um, so my tractor supervisor, Diana and I, you know, we'll, we did a 27 hour day once because we had to, you know, we'd go home, get snacks, get back in the tractor. Um, and it just kind of 
the vineyard just kind of made me see how hard I could work and how much it could pay off. And so uh, this was my place, I, you know, because I started in the tasting room, I went to wine production, I went to warehousing, I forgot that part, I went to the warehouse too. Because I already knew how to drive forklift, I was really good at it, and so I could move barrels around and pallets around, no problem at all. So my first year doing that, I moved 60,000 cases of wine out of our winery to go to Northwest Wine so that we could put tanks in that side. Um, and that, it took me two weeks. Yeah, it's just truck after truck after truck after truck. But I excel in those places. And so, you know, same thing with out here. Put me in a position where I can drive and feel like I'm doing something that I'm making progress in. And uh, I'm happy, you know, I'm just, I'm happy there. So um, what came to a tasting room and moved all around the place, I ended up in the vineyard last. And that is absolutely where I should have been um, it was great for me to learn all those other things too, but um, the vineyard will humble you like nothing else will. And it will take every bit of hope that you have in a day and then bring it all back to you the week after when things are okay, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, and it's super challenging. And so I, I like that challenge, I think. You know, that's a lot of it for me, it's just the challenge doing things that most women weren't out there doing. There are many more now, but I started, like I said, in 2004. Um, and there are, you know, women winemakers, women in wine, but not a lot of women in the vineyard and not a lot of women driving tractor or anything like that. And in order for me to get respect from my crew, because these guys have been doing it for years and then they bring me in and I've got no experience. And, you know, everybody's, a lot of people were waiting for me to fail. And so I started doing every move in the vineyard with the crew. It didn't matter what it was. If we're pruning, I'm gonna be out there pruning. If we're moving wire, I'm gonna be out there moving wire. So the first five years I spent with my crew just doing vineyard movements. Um, and then that way I can look at all the plants. I can see how everybody in the vineyard's working, what works, what doesn't work, what we need to change. And there wasn't a lot because at the time the crew that I had, they were just, you know, absolutely amazing. They had their shit together. I didn't even really need to be there. You know what I mean? It's like I could just come out and check on them and they're doing everything. It's like, well, this is the best job ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Um, but then when you start to realize all the things that go into it, it wasn't the best job ever at that point. And it, it, things got a little bit difficult, but then I kept learning. and. Um, after 20 years in the industry, I feel pretty comfortable now. <laughs> it's quite a story. Uh, I'm curious about when you walked into Firesteed, when you decided this is the place you want to do, what was your, what would you say your kind of awareness was or education was in terms of wine? What did you know about wine at that point? Absolutely nothing. Seriously, absolutely. N I wasn't drinking wine. I wasn't into wine. Um, but something about it just drew me to it. I don't know what it was. Uh, maybe it was because it, it was going to show me what I was made of. You know, I've always thought I, that I'm, you know, I've got a little power behind me because of certain areas that I know or because I feel a certain way about myself. But this, like I said before, really humbled me to let me know, you don't know shit. You don't know anything. And the vineyard was gonna let me know that I didn't know anything. Um, and so, 
going into it, it was when Shelly offered me the position in the tasting room, I was like, okay. And that's when I started drinking wine. It's like, okay, well now I'm gonna have to drink wine. Um, and I went straight for reds. I just bypassed whites because I just, I don't know why, but I went straight to reds. Um, and Pinot Noir was not my favorite at first. I had to go with like the rosés and stuff that you don't, they're not too complicated, but you still like them. Um, and then we brought in some cab one time to Firesteed. I don't even remember the story behind it, but we were holding it for somebody or something like that. And I'd never smelt that before. And I remember opening the tank and thinking, well, what is this? What is this? It's not Pinot, it smells totally different. And I remember getting made fun of because I thought cab was so much fun. And like the guys that are working with me are just like, Lisa, you're doing Pinot Noir and you think cab is good? What, what is wrong with you? I'm like, all right, you know, all right. So I'm, I'm inexperienced. Um, and so I just kept going over there and taking samples off of the cab just because it was so different. And then I would go sample the Pinot. So then I started getting much more into Pinot and it kind of just took me into the other realms of what other wines were out there. What did I like? What didn't I like? But I've never became that person who drinks wine all the time. I can't tell you where something's been, what the soil is, where it's, I'm not that person at all. You know, I'm, I'm not versed in wines that well. I know if I like them and if I don't like them. And if I like the vineyard and I like the winemaker, I'm going to drink them more than I might drink something else just because I know what goes into it. And I feel like people's, people's soul can be found in a bottle of wine for me, if that makes sense. And not just one person, but I feel like the whole group of people from the vineyard to the winery, to the bottling, to the sales, I think anybody that gets involved with that wine, their soul's gonna come out in it, especially if they're into it. You know, if, if you're not really into it and it's just a job for you, no, you're probably not gonna come through, but if you're into it and it's your thing, yeah, it's gonna show through, for me at least. Tell me about the, you mentioned Chemeketa as kind of the first step for you. Tell me about the coursework there and what uh, kind of what your initial thoughts were of the work you might be doing or of the, of the, of the kind of the wine world at that point? I think the general vit class for me, because it was online was, you know, it didn't really give it a lot of thought because you're not in it. But when I started getting into wine production classes, you know, that was a whole nother game for me because it's not easy. You know, I, I People get into it for the romantic part of it or whatever it is, but winemaking is not easy. It's just not, if, if you get into it and it's one of the easiest things you've, you've done, then you are so lucky. You're so lucky. Cause I was so confused about everything from the, I don't test well. And so my tests kept coming back really bad. It's like, damn, you're, you're failing at this. And I remember one of the instructors, Jesse Sandrock came to me and she's like, Lisa, not everybody is gonna test well, but some people are just going to do it in the field or do it in the winery well. And so don't take that so seriously. And that was like the best thing I could have been told at that time. Because for me, I was gonna give up. It's like, I can't even take a damn test, you know? And so by her saying that, it was like, oh, okay. I don't have to be 
involved in the schooling part of it and academic when I can just go out in the field and learn. And so that was probably one of the best things for me. And when I went to Firesteed, both of my bosses there were super open to teaching us, um, Brian and Pete both. They wanted us making good wine because we're the ones doing it. You know, we're the people that are on the floor and the people that are in the field are the ones that I feel like are putting the most into it. And so if you've got the crew that's really good at that and you're all on that page of it's about you guys and not about me or not about the winemaker, that helps out a lot because I think that a lot of people in this industry forget where the wine truly comes from. I think that there's a really big ego thing in wine and not just in Oregon, but everywhere. But when you break it down, it comes from the vineyard first. And there is a lot of hard work out here. They're out here in, when it's cold, when it's snowing, when it's raining, when it's 90 degrees, and they're out there just doing their job, making sure that we have fantastic grapes for our wine. Um, and so with that, I was able to, to kind of have that patience that people would give me to learn what I needed to learn. And I didn't have to do it through school, which even, I still did. Um, I would take classes, but not have to take the test. I forget what that's called. Uh, uh, auditing. Yes, I would just audit the class. So I audited all of Patty's classes, <laughs> but I didn't have to take the test. So I was still getting the information but I didn't have so much pressure on me to think that, you know, I've got to get it, I've got to do this so well. And by that time, Howard was paying for my education. And he's like, you just do what you want. You know, if you only want to audit, you just audit. You just need to keep learning. And so I had a lot of people with a lot of patience helping me get where I need to be. And that's probably the biggest thing. One of the bigger things for me is all the people that just stood behind me are like, you can do this, you know, you got this. Really exciting to hear that. I'm happy, happy to hear that. Uh, tell me about. Uh, let's talk about production first before we get into the vineyard. Obviously, you mentioned it being kind of hooked right away by the by the labor itself. Tell me about your sort of first harvest experience, first first vintage experience. What what were your what are your memories from that year? Um, see, I can do nothing but smile when I think about that. It brings back so many good memories. Um, I've always worked pretty hard at my jobs, but never like this. And I it was 2005 and the weather was kind of, it rained a lot during harvest. I do remember that, you know, for me, it was like, you know, I'm out on a forklift and that was my, that's what I did the most is I drove forklift cause I was fast. I could unload a truck in 40 minutes, you know, that's what they wanted. Um, the Kramer truck, cause we used to get fruit from Kramer. The Kramer truck would pull in and there'd be, you know, 40 totes on there whatever it was, and it would take me like a minute per stack to get those out of there. And then these guys are gone and they can come right back. And so I had the ability just to do that one job and then be involved in everything else. So if I'm on the forklift, but something's going on and you need help, you just jump off, you go help, you jump back on the forklift and you do what you're doing. So there wasn't a lot of pressure put on me about wine making or doing the right thing or not making mistakes. I did learn how to you know, do certain things. Um, but I didn't have a lot of pressure on me that year. And so it was just fun. And cleaning out the press, who knew? Who knew how much fun that could be? 
I would stay with a guy that I worked with. His name was Mike Hammond. He's no longer in the industry, but he used to make wine for Benton Lane. Um, we would stay till we were the only two left at the end of the night, and we would stay sometimes till one or two in the morning cleaning that press because it's a big press. And we would park his truck back there and turn on his stereo and just go after it. And so, you know, when two o'clock rolls around, we're done, we're feeling all good, we are so dirty and wet, and both, neither one of us cared. It was just that much fun. But again, who thought that cleaning a press could bring you that much joy? So just silly things like that, I would pick up on and be like, dang, I like this. Even just clean up. And, and people don't think so, but cleaning up at the winery is way different than cleaning up anywhere else because I feel like when you clean up and you turn around and leave, you know what went on there that day. It's like a murder went on there. And then all of a sudden, all the evidence is gone. <laughs> all the evidence is gone and nobody knows that we took in, my first year we took in 900 tons. 900 tons. Yeah, and I didn't know what that meant, but I remember telling somebody else in the industry, I don't remember who, they're like, well, how many tons did you take in this year? 900, and they're just like, 900. I'm like, yeah, it was great. Like, I bet it was. <laughs> so that was my experience into it, was just um, full throttle, I felt like, you know, just throw her in there, let's see what she can do. And um, so many things that I was afraid of that, you know, I ended up having to do on my own. And everybody was so willing to help me at first too. You know, all the guys work in the floor because uh, the vineyard crew at the time also worked in the winery. Um, so they got both aspects, but they were all more than willing to help me move hoses and do the things I needed to do to get it done. But then there was that one day when um, the winemaker, Brian came to me and he said, you need to be doing this on your own now. And it was just like, whoa, okay. Um, and so, you know, everything I was getting help with before, I wasn't getting help with now. Luckily, it all turned out okay. And, and Brian didn't have to be back and be like, oh man, I really screwed that up. Um, but it was still that moment of, okay, well, this is on me now. And am I gonna take it to the right tank? And <laughs> am I gonna do something wrong? And when you're working with that much wine, you know, it's kind of intimidating, you know, we had, 36 tanks in there and there were most of them were 10 gallon 10,000 gallon tanks we had two 12,000 gallon tanks outside and that's you know pretty intimidating when you don't know um, but I think throwing me into it was probably the best thing to do because I'm not that person who can hold back and just once somebody's going to do it for me I'm probably out you know I don't need to do this <laughs> you got it <laughs> so you know that that right there was was huge for me and I think that's why I had an easier time out here because not knowing anything but just being thrown into it was the best thing again. Mm -hmm. So tell me about sort of um, after harvest, after you get past the kind of the buzz and the like the long days and the kind of exhaustion, as you start working in the winery during the, re during the rest of the year, what, what did you find uh, the work to be like at that point? Um, kind of cathartic because all the crazy stuff is done and then all of a sudden it stops and there's just like this weird silence to everything um, and you go to each tank and you get to to smell them and you get to have that memory of what the growing season was like and what harvest was like and who you got to work with and all the things that happened but then you're only working eight hours a day 
and you're just doing like what you consider menial stuff, moving tanks, racking barrels, you know, stuff like that. Um, but to be able to step back and look at the harvest, especially my first one, and then be in the winery to where, you know, by the time February rolled around, I remember being underneath tanks and painting the stands, you know, just stuff like that on like one of those mechanic rollers that they roll under cars with. So, you know, there's like three of us and we're on those and we're underneath these tanks, just painting the stands and getting the dirt off of them and stuff like that. And I remember thinking to myself, this is wine making. This is what people don't know. We are not, this is not romantic and none of us want to be under this dirty tank right now, but this is what we're doing. Um, and so being open to the process of this is not all romantic and this is not all fun. And this is what you do in your off time, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. really gave me a certain sense of, okay, I can, I can do this even though it gets real boring during the winter sometimes. Um, but then I got to learn how to use a DE filter that most people, I don't think there's a lot of people that use them anymore. Um, but I remember getting to use like a DE filter all on my own and I got really good at it. And I remember I went over to the winemaker to ask him something. And we were all kind of watching the filter and I'm trying to get an answer from somebody about what's going on. And this person's not answering me. So it's me, the winemaker, and then this person. And I'm waiting and waiting and the winemaker's just looking at me and he's looking at the other person, looking at me, looking at the other person. He looks at me, he goes, you hear that? I remember stopping and thinking, I go, what is that sound? He's like, Lisa, your tank's overflowing. Because I was waiting to see when, when am I supposed to cut this off? And I kind of got lost in something else. And that person's not giving me the answer. The winemaker knew, but he needed to let me make that mistake. You know what I mean? He needed to show me, you got to understand how fast this can go wrong. And I remember just dropping whatever it was in my hand and I was all the way on the other side of the winery. It's a decent sized winery. And I am running so fast just to get to that filter and turn that valve over. And I didn't lose a lot, but I remember that was my first big mistake. And it was like, oh, this isn't like a normal mistake. I mean, you lose over so many gallons and you got to report that and it's a big deal and you just lost money and all the work you put into it. And so I don't think I ever made a mistake like that again but it was good for my first big mistake for him to just let it happen. And I know he didn't want to, cause he's not that guy. You know, everything he did was very meticulous and he was always just mainline. He never got mad. He never got too, he was just always like this. And so for him to be like, what's that sound? It was like, oh God, <laughs> what is that sound? And so that was the first time of, I could really screw things up. And I think that really scared me cause it's not my, money it's not my wine it's not my place um and, and so that was my first first like my heart just dropped if that makes sense i remember my heart just dropped sorry so um that's when i started getting really serious about you have to be on you ha always you cannot be off at all and if you are off you need to ask for help because if you are not fully focused you're going to make mistakes out here in the winery and they can be big so So let's jump ahead to the to the new time uh, in the vineyard. So obviously you mentioned you came in, 
with with no real knowledge of what you're doing. A, a lot of a lot of enthusiasm and not a lot of knowledge. So tell me about first steps. What were the first things you you had to do? What were the first things you had to learn? Um, the first things I think I had to learn were logistics out here. Um, not really the plants, not really what you do to handle them or how you're going to keep them safe. It was just logistics. Um, how are you going to finish getting the vineyard planted? Are you going to bring the GPS guy out here? When is he supposed to be out here? Um, do you know how many rows you're going to have out here? Do you know how many plants are going to be per row? Do you know where exactly you want them? Do they want to be east or west? Do, all of that. And then how are you going to get the plants in here? Um, how are you going to harvest? Um, and then I think because the plants do what they need to do, and Luke was very familiar with that. He, he knew that they could kind of take care of themselves as long as the people in the field are doing their jobs, the plants were going to be okay, but I needed to learn all the crap first. Um, and so the first two years was just me running around in a truck or calling people or bringing in people to do dirt work or, you know, just think, just the basic things that you don't think you're going to be doing. But that was, pro that was again, one of the best things for me to do because it, it taught me patience um, and it showed me exactly how much I didn't know, how much I needed to learn. Describe the vineyard for me when you, when you got here. What, what, what condition was it in and what was, what was it you were kind of charged with doing? Where we are sitting right now, this was still all trees and scrub. So there were no vines up here. Um, the only block that was planted is the middle one behind us and it's 33 acres. There are 141 acres planted here. I came into it with the guy that was doing it. His name was David Flynn. Um, they owned, Firesteed used to be Flynn. So they owned that and then sold it. Um, but David stayed on and he had experience. I mean, 20 some years of experience. Um, but then decided, you know, he wanted to be doing other things. And so he planted that block. And then from there on, it was, you know, again, me bringing in plants, me ordering wire, me ordering impost, all that stuff that you don't ever think about. And so the next, I think the next thing that we ended up planting, so that was 2007 when they planted that. And the next block would have been the one next to it. And that was 2008. And it was really, really, really hot that year. And we planted in May. And I, you know, I didn't know. And it's not that I could have made that call because I was not making those calls. The winemaker was, you know, he, he was the one that decided certain things like that at that time. Um, and so that was, we struggled. This block still struggles um, just because of the planting process and everything that it went through the first few years. Um, and after doing that block, everything got a little bit easier. And then in 2009, we finished the Pinot Gris over by the house, the 777, all this back here. And then in 2011, we finished the Riesling. Um, so 2011 was my last planting, but almost everything was done out here by 2009. So it was a fast process for me. 
and you mentioned logistics as being the biggest challenge. So tell me about getting a handle on that. Well, how long did it take you to figure some of those things out? Not long, because if it if it takes you to, you'll never get through harvest. You'll never get through your first harvest. If you don't get logistics and if you, there are lots of people that do this and, and they have a lot of different people working with them. Um, we've always kind of ran, even when we were doing the winery on a small crew, as small as possible, less interference. People I think respect their position a little bit more and they get a little bit more out of it. Um, so my first harvest, everything was done by hand. We're not doing anything mechanically at that point. Um, and so we would run trailers and tractors. And the first year, of course, we started way up by the road up there where you came in. And so we're bringing tractors from up there all the way down here to the barn so that we can load and stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, this is gonna be harder than I thought because you don't want your tractor drivers pushing themselves because lots of things can happen. You know, you're pulling a ton and a half behind your tractor. You want people that are doing it that feel comfortable doing it. So I started doing it. I just decided that year, okay, I'm gonna get in here and do this. Let's see how fast I can do it, how good I am at it. And again, I'm a driver. So that, I was hooked. I was hooked. I could get across the vineyard. I don't know if I should say this or not. I could pull a ton and a half behind me and be doing 12 miles an hour. And then that tractor is bouncing. I'm not losing any fruit because I've got it so locked down that it can't go anywhere because they kind of move around a little bit. But I figured out that if I was to take a strap and strap them down so that they're all tight and they can't move on that trailer like they probably should, I could go a lot faster. Um, and so within me going that fast, everybody in turn behind me is like, oh, okay, well, we're gonna step it up because we've been doing this for years and we're doing, you know, 3.5 miles an hour going into the barn. She's doing, you know, eight to 12, depending on the day. And so after figuring out that I just needed to do everything again myself to figure out how to do it, that's how it all started coming together. I have to do things myself. I can't just read it or see it. I'm that person. I have to write it down. I have to hear it. I have to see it. I might have to touch it depending on what it is and I'm gonna have to drive it if it's a vehicle. So um, doing harvest that way taught me everything I needed to know about getting trucks in here, getting things in and out, how to get things there fast. If we were having issues with drivers, maybe they weren't as fast. You know, you could change people out really quickly even if they're halfway down the vineyard. <laughs> I would just call the other driver and be like, you need to get on the four-wheeler and you need to go get that person out of the tractor and you need to get those grapes down to the barn. And so within that, there, you, then you start building up a little competition. And so then people start having a really good time with it safely. Um, safely. I am not always the safest person out here and at one time I was called a liability. Um, everything is, I wanna do everything fast, fast and well especially if there's driving involved in it. So um, as soon as I could break that down and figure out that I could do that quickly, everything else just kind of fell into place. And I don't know why it made sense to me that way, but it just did. I think because it was one of the hardest things out here to do. Um, 
especially when you have to go all the way across a vineyard like this. Uh, when you can get that figured out and get everything to the winery on time and the winemaker's happy with you, then you've done your job. When I pull off my next bank heist, you're definitely going to be on the wheel for me, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I got you. you <laughs> it needs something fast, though. It's got to well. be fast. Well. Yeah, okay, yeah. I like that. Um, tell me about, you mentioned kind of your, your sort of initial sort of winery mistake or, or you know, the, the overflowing wine. What was that kind of aha moment out here in the vineyard when you either realized sort of something that you were doing wrong or, or you realized that something you thought was wrong was, was actually okay? Wow. That's a big one. I don't know that to this day, to this day, I still come out here and see every mistake I'm making. Um, I'm always proud of the vineyard and what we do out here, but I'm still always going to pick apart what's not working, what could have been done better, how I could have interacted better with getting it done. I don't think in the vineyard, even though I thought it was the end of the world, it never was out here. And it never was in the winery either, but because I am who I am, I don't want to make those mistakes. And at the same time, the winemaker was still my boss. So even coming into the vineyard, the winemaker was still my boss and I knew what he expected and he expected a lot. And so I wanted to make sure that he felt really good about putting me in my position and that I was doing the right thing out here. So that, that was a lot of it for me. That's what drove me. So I would say my first mistake out here was probably thinking that it was gonna be easy. You know, that I can do this. This is no problem at all. And then you start adding another, you got 33 acres. Yeah, I can do 33 acres. But then, you know, let's come along and add another, you know, 110 onto that. And then you step back and see that, oh, well, it is a lot harder than you thought and mistakes are gonna be made. So I, I would say the biggest mistake I've made out here, okay, um, we have a piece of equipment called an in-row cultivator. Probably one of the hardest pieces of equipment I have had to perfect. And if that thing's not working right, you will look in your mirror and there will be a plant that you just cut and you, you, this plant's been in production since 2007, and now it's 2023, and I have already taken out three plants. I am very versed in this machine, but sometimes it will just throw you for, you know, something's, something's off, something's off. And so the first time I brought it out this year, the first plant I got to just sliced right through that, and it was like, oh, this is going to be one of those years. This is going to be one of those years. I, I have replanted out here. I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to get through an acre and look back and they're all going to be laying on the ground or something like that because I'm like too comfortable. And so I really had to start taking into account that I was too comfortable and uh, mistakes can be made. And even just one plant for me is a big deal. You know, you think about how many grapes you've brought in off that plant and how many years it's given you production and they don't ask a lot from me except for not to chop them off with the in-row cultivator, but here I am <laughs> out here cutting them down. Um, so that was probably my biggest challenge, just coming out and learning different things, but thinking you've got it all dialed in and every fucking year I don't have it dialed in.
you know, it's, there's always some lapse in time because you're gonna, I'm gonna get out here on this day. I'm gonna get all this done. Like right now I'm like, yeah, let's get out the, we, let's get out the leaf puller. We really need to be on this. So let's get it all together and make sure it's all working. Well, we're still not done with dirt work that we have to do. So, you know, those things are not gonna happen as quickly as I want. So we will be out here chasing ourselves like we do every year. So I don't ever have, the, I don't ever think I've had a year where I feel like everything's on time and I don't have to worry anything, worry about anything. Maybe 2015 or 2012, both of those years super easy because everything was kind of just did what it needed to do. Not too many weeds under the vines, not too much rain, not too much crazy stuff going on. You could control things. But that is one thing is you have to let go of control out here because you're never going to have it. They will not allow it. Um, the vines control everything and you're just going to be here to help them along. And they'll let you know everything they need if you pay attention. You know, everything, take, take some samples or just watch them. And, and they'll pretty much tell you everything you need to be doing. But you gotta, you gotta let your ego go and, and know that it's, it's the plants and it's not so much you, you're just the steward. You're just standing back and helping them out. You mentioned obviously the, the scaling coming from going from 33 acres up, away up from there. Uh, how do you, how have you learned to sort of keep tabs on that many acres of grapes? I don't think that I have. <laughs> I mean, I am, I will be honest, I am not that, I'm not that vineyard manager and good thing Howard is who he is because I don't know that a lot of people could work with me. I, I'm not the person that is out here taking continuous notes. I can remember a lot of stuff in my head about years past and things that have gone on, but I'm not real meticulous like I probably should be and lots of vineyard people are about all the notes that go on out here, all the things that you should probably be doing because I, again, have so much trust in the land and in the vines themselves that, and being ignorant probably too, you know, coming into it the way I did, I've never been around it. I didn't realize how things were supposed to go and how people felt about all of this. This was just farming. I'm just farming. I'm a farmer, you know, it's, I'm a grower. Um, I'm not a viticulturist. I know viticulture stuff, but I am not a vit person. I am a vineyard manager and there's a difference. There's a big difference. So keeping track of the vines for me was more on a vineyard manager standpoint than a viticulture standpoint, if that makes sense. So my keeping track is, is everything okay? <laughs> all my blocks are good. We got all the fruit in. Um, and that that's it right there you know it's i've simplified it i think i've just simplified it for myself maybe not for anything else but just for myself you mentioned when you took over as vineyard manager that you had a real strong team in the field already at that point <clears throat> tell me about building maintaining team a team like that and about sort of finding your way in leadership finding your way in management um the team that was out here at first was all men, um, which is, I come from an auto parts background, so I'm pretty used to that. Um, like I said, I like cars, so any way I could get involved with cars, I did. And so I worked auto parts for about nine years. Um, very male driven. So for me, it wasn't a big deal. But then I started realizing that when you bring somebody in that doesn't have experience, and a lot of these guys had so much experience, um, and then you are a woman on top of it, 
it makes it a little more difficult to get your point across or to get anybody to respect you, you know? There was just no respect. So that's when I started, like I said, that's when I started doing every move in the vineyard. And I would keep up with them. It didn't matter how much it killed me when I got home. I mean, I'm crying on the drive home, whatever, but I was gonna maintain that I could do this too. And so I just started working with them. And then it got to a point where we needed more people, but my contractor was having a hard time. And I said, well, what about all the ladies that are here tying vines in the winter. And he looked at me and he goes, the ladies don't do that work, Lisa. The ladies don't prune. I said, well, they do now. And he's like, they're not gonna want to. I had 11 women come to me and be like, yeah, we wanna prune. And so it ended up that it started just moving that most of the guys would move into the tractor work or the really heavy field work. And then those ladies were doing everything else. And so, putting them in an empowering position that they had never been in. And I could have done none of this without them. Unfortunately, they are not with me anymore. Um, everybody kind of moved on to their own space. But empowering them empowered me, but they did everything. You know, they were the power behind it. They held everything together. Raina was my supervisor out here and she just knew her shit. She just, ripped it up out here, um, which in turn helped me learn even more because she was so responsible with everything. But I think just throwing myself into it and then bringing in a group of people who were not always lent in, you know, oh, women can't do that. Women, well, yes, they can. And they did it really, really well, really well, better than I had seen anybody else do it because the care was there. It's almost like, <clears throat> These are kind of like my kids, 110,000 of them, and I love them all. And so did they, so did they, and you could see it. So just the respect from them um, made me respect the process even more. And them all just taking me in and not, you know, they were all Hispanic women. And I'm just, you know, this, my husband is Hispanic also. So I'm, you know, been around the culture, but not very much, not on this level. And they just brought me in, you know, they just brought me in. It didn't take too long for them to all just be like, okay, she's all right. We, we don't mind her so much, you know, she didn't have to work very hard to get out here, damn it, but we'll keep her, you know? And so they all just brought me in and taught me everything they knew. Um, they're, the guy they worked for, Julian Hernandez, he's the one that taught me how to drive tractor at first, and he didn't have to do any of that stuff, you know? He taught me a lot too. So they, with bringing everybody in like that and respecting them for the positions that they have, which I'm gonna say this again, I don't feel like vineyard workers get the respect that they need. And I will say that a thousand times until they get it. We need to respect the field workers much more than we do. We need to appreciate them. They need to be paid well. And we all need to realize the prices are gonna to have to go up so that we can pay these people well so that they'll stick around and we don't have to be retraining people every year because this is a profession. And I don't care if you're working in the fields, <clears throat> just as well as a winemaker gets all of this credit and stuff, these guys are doing work that you gotta know what you're doing or you are gonna fuck up somebody's grapes so bad that you will never be asked back. And what do you do with those grapes in the end? Do you hopefully, do they go to a big enough winery that you can just blend them away and not worry about it? Or are they gonna go to a winery that are the winemakers gonna be like, I shouldn't have to do this kind of work. They should come into where I barely have to do anything. 
and that's what they did out here. They made sure that everything came in well and respected the process. And again, brought me in and taught me so much, so much. And I, again, I could not have done it without them. You mentioned that you started obviously working at Firesteed. Tell me about the, the kind of the changeover process when Firesteed was sold and how your, your role has kind of changed. Um, that's a funny story. I did not know that we were gonna be sold. So that didn't make me happy because I felt like I was in a position where I should have been told, um, but everybody has their reasons. Um, and so the day that it got sold, I got a call from the tasting room manager and she said, guess what? I'm like, what? She's like, we got sold today. I'm like, it's, I started laughing. I'm like, whatever, what? Don't screw with me like that. She's like, Lisa, I'm serious. And then my husband also worked there. Um, I, when I left bottling, we needed to fill the position. And my husband's never done it before, but he's super smart on that kind of stuff. So I'm like, why don't we just bring Chris in and see what he can do? And he'd built like, the catwalk at Firesteed on the tasting room side and put in like this really cool spiral staircase. And so Brian already knew him. He's like, okay. And you know, so Chris comes in and he's, you know, taking that position up. Um, and so he called me too. And that's when I knew once he called me, he's like, guess what? I'm like, did we sell? He's like, yes, we did. <laughs> And so by the time Howard got out here that afternoon, <laughs> he took one look at me and he goes, you know, I go, yes, I do. <laughs> the only thing that changed for me was that I was just given a bit more responsibility and then I was my own boss. You know, Brian was no longer my boss. Um, I just pretty, everything was on me at that point, which I already knew what I was doing, but it's always nice to have somebody else that's making all the decisions. And you know, at that point, um, I just kept doing what I was doing. Um, I knew that I wasn't gonna leave. <clears throat> I feel like I've been out here so long. And again, because I feel I, I am attached the way that I am. Howard's got me where he wants me, you know what I mean? And, and he probably knows it but I have so much respect for the field that I just don't want to leave. And I can't just leave it to anybody if I'm going to go. So it's going to have to be the right person, even though it's not mine, I don't own it, but I feel that ownership, you know, I, I truly do. Um, and so when it sold, no, I was not happy, but it was a lot better for me. I feel like, because then, you know, I am in full control and, and I like that. So, and Howard doesn't ask a lot of me, you know, he, he's great that way. He trusts in the process and he trusts in what, you know, we've done in the past. And, and I think that he just felt really comfortable and wasn't even worried about it. But then I had to deal with other people that I never had to deal with. And so that was a whole other process in itself. And again, not everybody wants to work with me. I'll be very honest. Not everybody likes me. I'm pretty blunt to the point. Um, I don't care who you are either. I don't care what kind of wine you've made. I don't care who you think you are as a winemaker or in this industry. We are all the same. We're all working for the same goal. And it's just to be respected for what we do and to the pride in that, that glass of wine, you know, that you can sit back and be like, man, I grew part of this 
And up until 2014, I still got to work in the winery full time. But then Brian pulled me back because the vineyard was getting bigger. And he's like, you can't do both of these, Lisa, because I was working 16 hours a day. Um, ended up raising my granddaughter for four years. Um, and, and so within that, I had to give things up to make sure she was getting what she needed. Um, and, and, and so it just, it just takes me to the process of, we all need to respect what we do out here. We are, none of us are a big deal. None of us are a big deal. Uh, it's the vines that are the big deal. And that's just the way I feel about it. I even feel like after it gets into the winery, you may be a good winemaker, but you better have good fruit because if you got to screw with it and put a bunch of stuff in it and bring it out of its natural state, that's for me and just for me personally, um, you're taking away from what happened, you know? I understand some years are just crap and you have to, but if it was a good year and bad things happened or, it was a good year and bad things didn't happen, but you take it into the winery and somebody wants to be adding stuff that you would never add, you know? It's like, why are you doing that? Um, that was probably the hardest thing for me when we sold Firesteed, knowing that people would be manipulating certain things that maybe I wouldn't agree with and they, my grapes had never been anywhere else. And so now I'm Howard's selling them to somebody else and they're doing what they want to do with them and they're using them on a production level that I had never seen. You know, I didn't, Firesteed was Firesteed, you know, and some of that all went into Firesteed. It was just our thing. But then when you start selling to other people where it's not as important and it's just going into a big batch of wine, things change a little bit because you spend every day out here doing what you can and then you're going to put it in a $20 fucking bottle of wine. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so for me, that's, that's hard. But then you have people come out that they buy an acre and they make this fabulous bottle of wine out of it that you've never tasted before in your life. Um, I'll give you an example. There is a winery in Eugene called Civic. Um, he did a blend of the Gewurztraminer the Pinot Gris and the Riesling from here. And I had never seen these grapes take on that kind of personality. I remember tasting it and thinking, oh my God, this is like a whole nother world for me. Cause we'd never done anything together. Everything was always their own. The Gewurztraminer, it would go into the Pinot Gris. We never did our own, you know, it just, we'd blend it in the Pinot Gris. But this guy did three together and he did them in Amphora, which I'd never been around too much, except for in Arizona. Um, but in Arizona, they're not doing, they're bigger usually, they're not, and this guy's on a small scale, and he let me come in and taste him and go through him, and that's when I realized, okay, Lisa, some people can do that $20 bottle of wine, and you should appreciate the fact that your grapes are selling, and then you also can see this 30 or 40 or $80 bottle of wine and then it all kind of comes full circle. You know, you, I don't feel so bad anymore because, okay, somebody's doing some really cool stuff with it and they're, they're really expressing the soul of the vineyard. And that's what I want. I want the vineyard to be expressed for what it is and what it's given me. 
um, because it's given me a lot more, a lot more than I could ever give to it. I, I could be out here for the rest of my life and I'm never gonna give the vineyard everything it's given me. Tell me about 2020. What was that harvest like? 2020. 2020 was hard. Um, not even from, you know, the start of COVID kind of thing or anything, but just my vineyard supervisor, um, she lost her husband that year. Um, and so she does all the tractor stuff for me and he used to help us out here all the time. And, and we knew it, it could happen, so it wasn't, um, we knew it could happen, but we didn't expect it. And it, he passed right during harvest. And so that I, I couldn't, um, she wasn't here and I could not be here. It was one, that's, that's the first harvest where I didn't, um, I didn't go out in the field. To have somebody help you that doesn't have to help you, who would just come out and do it and not expect to be paid, and he would do anything, it didn't matter. And so to see that loss for her, because she's one of my very dear friends, and then not to have him around anymore, it was a really hard year. And I was working with another, that's when I brought in another company to help in the field. And so everything was just way up in the air. You know, everything was just crazy. And me stepping out of the field was, that I had never done that, but I just couldn't be here. I couldn't do it, I could not do it. It's the first harvest where I'm like, I can't be here, sorry. And they did almost everything on their own. I would check things at the end of the night after everybody went home. You know, I'd walk through the vineyard, make sure things were okay, make sure all the wineries got what they needed, but I couldn't help in the process. So 2020 was a really hard year for the vineyard in general, I feel like, yeah. I mean, the grapes came out okay, everybody was happy, so that's good. Um, but I'd never had a year like that out here, so. Oh, and that's the first year I got to go to Arizona. You mentioned Arizona. I was going to ask about that next. So tell me about Arizona. Um, I had a really good friend that worked at Fireseed with me. He started in 2005 in the winery with me. Um, he worked in the tasting room with me. He went to the winery first, and then I followed him. He stayed until 2011, and he took off to go to Texas and then ended up in Arizona. I'm like, dude, you got to get a job in the wine industry in Arizona. He's like, what wine industry? I'm like, really? He's like, there's no wine out here. Well, there is wine out there. Um, it wasn't the best back then, but people were having a lot of fun and you could tell. So he got a job and I remember telling him, you, you gotta bring me out there. You have to bring me out to work. And so he got married in 2015. So I went to the wedding, he got married in Sedona. And I ended up getting a tour of the winery that he was working at, which I never in my life expected would happen. And I remember tasting some of the wines and thinking, oh, there's so much promise to a place that is so crazy. Cause this is like growing grapes in hell. If somebody can do this and make good wine, I don't care what anybody says, that's a good vineyard person and a good manager. They know what they're doing because it is crazy there, crazy hot. Um, and the vines look great. So I did that and didn't really think anything about it. And then in 2017, a girl that I worked at Firesteed, who is now a cider master in Washington, Monique Tribble, got asked to go and work there. And she's like, well, why don't you just come with me? 
And so I drive down there with her and I'm there for two weeks. And within that two weeks, I'm not getting paid, but I am down there working in the winery because that's just how it goes. And then I went back in 2019 for a full harvest. And so I left here like August 1st, I think it was, and got back at the end of August and worked that month and thought to myself, okay, this like takes me back to like how it used to be because it's so small there and everybody's so tight knit and nobody is, they're not those million case wineries yet. There aren't those 40,000 case wineries yet. So everybody's still a really small community. Um, and so it makes it a little more fun. Everybody is on the same page kind of because everybody's learning. Um, and, and so in 2019, I worked at a place that is a second location and it was fun. Um, I had forgotten a lot about the winemaking process. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it was hard, but I remember thinking this is the best thing ever. You know, I just miss winemaking. And so I got a call from um, the winemaker for the winery that I was working at in 2020 in April. And he's like, hey, do you want to come work up at what we call the, the bunker? And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do this. I don't know what it is, but let's do it. Um, and that was like the best winemaking year I have ever had, even compared to Firesteed, because everything was so new to me. Again, grapes I'd never worked with, things that they were doing that, I mean, I'm walking in here thinking, oh, let's see what goes on. And, and you know, I'm like, oh, look what I've done. We bring in 900 tons, you guys bring in 50. But again, I remember looking at the winemaker telling him, I didn't think I could get humbled this many times in this industry, but here I am yet again, being humbled by things that I don't know in wine. Um, and so I have gone back every year and I'll, I will be leaving probably August 1st again and, and I'll spend probably a little more than 30 days there because they also do cider and they also do mead. And so they're doing all kinds of fun stuff that I've not, not been able to do. And so it, it introduces me to a whole different world of fermentation and how much fun you can have. And you don't just have to do grapes, you could do this too. And they're, they're working with equipment too that I'd never worked with. You know, they, they've got the they got the tiny press, which, you know, you get that thing clean in like 15 minutes. Um, but every other piece I hadn't really been around because, you know, they're smaller scale, so they're getting smaller things. And everything for me has been big, you know, big. And so it was funny coming in and just being like, oh, well, look at that little, little tiny hopper and look at this. And, um, but the way that everything is there, you have to do it on that smaller scale, I feel like, because it's not like here. It's not at all. You know, the grapes are totally different and how they want to be taken in through all the machinery is totally different. And everybody's kind of, I don't want to say behind because that's not it, but they're not doing things that we're doing here yet. You know what I mean? Maybe because they haven't been exposed or maybe because they don't need to yet. So all those basics of intern work. And that's what I am. I am an intern. I don't have a position. I don't, I just go do all the shit work. I clean the winery I, and that's my thing too. I like to clean. And so I'm sure that that's what brings me back there is 
you know, it's like you come in and the winery is like you could eat off the floor and then, oh, who's been here? Oh, it was Lisa. Um, and so I like to do all that stupid intern stuff. You know, I like to drag hoses around and I like to get dirty and I don't need to be making any decisions and I like that. I don't want to make decisions. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I have not screwed up too bad there. I think he's going to take me back again this year, so. <laughs> As long as you keep getting invited back. As long as I keep getting invited back, yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, that, that might be where I go to retire, but still be involved, you know? Because I love Oregon, but I don't like the weather. Um, I, I much prefer the sun and the hot weather. I, and I can deal with it. I worked the vineyard 2021 in Arizona, and uh-uh, 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 mm-mm. You don't find too many people who stay in the vineyards in Arizona because I thought I was going to die. Yeah, it's way too hot. And the, and the person that I work with has to have um, hail canopies because he lost 30 acres one year. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this big white tent over the grapes. <clears throat> and so I'm like, oh, Lisa, go get samples. Well, you don't realize how hot it can damn well be under there. Oh, and you can't get in to mow the grass because of this tent that's up. And I'm from Oregon, and so I'm tracking through this three-foot-tall grass. I got shorts on, work boots, T-shirt, no big deal. Do that for three days, and then I go, the, we buy grapes from the school um, in Arizona. They get grapes from the campus. And so, oh, well, can you go take samples there? I'm like, yeah. And I walk into this beautifully manicured vineyard. You know, it's like there's no weeds under the vines. It's all been mowed. And the first thing I step into, um, I took three steps into the row and looked over and there was a four foot long rattlesnake. And so I'm talking to it because I am close enough. She's not curled up, so I, I feel okay, but still I don't know. So I'm like talking to this snake as I'm backing up really slow and I get out of it and I send the owner of the winery a text and it's just a picture of the snake <laughs> and I get back fuck that <laughs> and then when I get back he's like were you out in the rows with the grass and I'm like yeah he goes have you learned your lesson and I look and I go what are you talking about he goes well then obviously you haven't and he goes Lisa that you never would have seen that in there and you're just in shorts and short boots and not that pants are going to help me, but still, you know, not even ever thinking that, oh, you are in a whole nother place where things want to kill you. It is so hot and so mean out there that anything you walk onto is probably going to want to kill you and take your life because they need the water more than you do or the food. And so I have to look at it that way when I go there now is, oh, scorpions and rattlesnakes and whatever else kind of crazy shits out there in Arizona. <laughs> And then there's these grapes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that lesson learned there. You'd think I know that too, but I guess when you're not exposed to those things, you don't even think about, you got, once you get bit, you got like 20 minutes to get help, you know? <laughs> I drive myself to the hospital because it's a ways away right now. Am I going to call somebody? What am I going to do? Um, and so, Unfortunately, that rattlesnake did not make it through. I, I should not have said anything. 
because some people are way into, well, let's move it. And other people are into, we can't have our crew getting bit. So um, after that, I did find out how you could move them yourself and, you know, get them out of the space. So I went and bought a little snake catcher and what I might need in case, because I don't want to kill anything. I don't want to take something's life because I, I feel like mine is more important. So if I can, I'm going to remove it and put it somewhere else. If I can't, well, that's it, because I'm going to win and you're not. Um, but I'm first going to think, how can I move this and still give it its chance at what it does? So. When you said it was like making wine in hell, you, you weren't, it was like you're too far off. It's like wine desperate out there. And when you have to work, um, I always liked working outside on the pad, you know, because that's where all the excitement's at. I cannot do that in Arizona because I'm here all year. <clears throat> I never get to acclimate. And so that first year out, I think I was out for 15 minutes. It was probably about one o'clock in the afternoon. And the guy that I was working with, who's my sidekick up there, he comes out and he goes, you need to go in the winery. I'm like, I'm not done. He's like, you need to go in the winery. I'm like, well, he's not my boss. And so I keep working. And it's like, I'm kind of feeling weird and I'm getting kind of cold. And so I go in the winery and he goes, what's the matter? Don't feel good? I'm like, I don't. And then I, all the symptoms, you know, I had a bloody nose. I could not stand up. I just couldn't get warm. And it's like 111 degrees. And then, you know, I, I have to be sat down and given the talk of you cannot do this. And so I only get to spend short periods of time out on the pad because it's all full sun. And so the guy that is my sidekick has to take all of that responsibility onto himself because I can't be out there. So he takes all that work out there and then I do all the work in the vineyard or in the winery, which works out really good for me because, you know, it's 55 degrees in there. So not too bad. So yes, um, coming from here and going there and thinking that you're gonna work outside, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. talked earlier about kind of being the, the only woman around or only woman in your role for a lot of times the only woman in the winery being one of the few female vineyard managers tell me about how you've seen that change and and how you feel the industry in Oregon is doing in terms of having women coming into those roles um I I I, I don't want to, I don't want to be, oh, men are for this and women for that, because that's not who I am. But I do feel like women have a different outlook on the vines. Um, I feel like they're cared for in a different way. I'm not going to say better, even though I want to. Um, I feel like there's a little more thought to the process and they're a little more gentle. Um, and I... I feel like now, I mean, there are women vineyard managers all over the place and they're doing really great things. Um, like Erica Miller, she, you know, she went from Stoller and now she's somewhere else making wine and doing the vineyard and um, Rebecca Sweet, she started with me and now she does her own seed company. Um, and she just, she used to do um, live stuff too. She was part of the live program. Um, so, you know, she, she, was coming up about the same time I was, and I think she was working at Van Duzer at the time. Um, and so we would talk about that a lot. And there was a couple others, but just 
you didn't get to spend enough time with anybody to get to, but now when you go somewhere, it's like so many more women are coming into the industry, which is great because you need that balance, I feel like, of men and women and just difference in people and, and how they do things because you can learn a lot in the differences. So I do feel like the industry is, not that we were ever kept out of the industry, I just think sometimes people get something in their head that, oh, it's for men, you know, like working auto parts. You didn't find a lot of women that were working auto parts either. And so you just don't think about it. As a woman, you're just, eh, that's kind of a man's thing. But now I, I feel like women are really coming into the, the fact that this is definitely a fun thing to do. And you can express yourself in so many ways out here. And I see that the industry is very accepting. Never have I not felt like I was accepted. I never ever felt that way in this industry. Um, I just think people, it didn't matter, you know? And to me it was never, oh, I, I'm one of the first women. It, I just kind of, this is what it is and yay for me, you know? But I do feel like it, it's the direction that it's going. I feel like there are more women getting involved now, actually. I don't know if I'm right, but sometimes when I go places, I see that, you know, just like where you'd only see maybe five or six women. Now there are 30 women in that room, which is awesome, you know, because all that information is getting shared in a different way. And, and so, again, back to balance. If we want to balance everything in the vineyard, you need balance of everything. It's always good to talk to other people and see what they're doing and how they feel about stuff. And, you know, you think I've been doing this since 2007 out here. And every day I feel like I'm I'm learning something new that, you know, can be shared with somebody else to make it easier, you know, work smarter, not harder. And so I think that that's helped bringing women in has helped working smarter and not harder, if that makes sense. So you've talked a little bit about what kind of what, what's possibly next for you, but tell us about what you're looking ahead to, either in wine and vines or just outside of that. Uh, what, what's kind of on your horizon? Um, <clears throat> I will always be involved in wine, I think. It was definitely my calling. I love everything about it. This is a lot, um, especially the small crew that we run on. It's been a huge part of my life, but it's also, I'm now to the point where I realize that it's been every part of my life. I didn't, you know, I live for this. I live for this and I have lived for this. And so when I was able to take a step away and like go to Arizona and see that, oh, the vineyard can run without me? Are you kidding? That was my first real just, wow, it can run without me, <laughs> damn. But then realizing that I needed to pull myself away and um, not live for this all the time and do different things and be able to maybe share things with people that I'm not familiar with. And so I, I believe that my thing will be definitely, I will be in Arizona and I will work in the wine industry, but I will be probably making wine versus being in the vineyard. And just on a part-time scale, you know, not full-time, not, I just want to have fun. I'm to the point where I just want to have fun. I don't want to stress over things. I've done that enough. I just want to have some fun. Yeah. 
you mentioned kind of the idea of sort of learning, teaching, sharing. So tell me about uh, in your role how you've been able to sort of pass along what you've learned and what you know to, to maybe people coming into the industry. Um, I, I think the only people that I could say I've taught anything to would be people I've worked with out here. I mean, because I don't, I am not real involved in the industry. You don't see me around a lot. I don't try to go to all the things, and, and not that I th don't think it's fun or anything. It's just the wine industry has changed a lot, and I know that change has to happen. It doesn't mean I have to like it. So for me. I am that person that's gonna say what I wanna say, and I think a lot of people have a problem with that. So it's best for me to just do my thing and do it well and not worry about what anybody says or gives a shit about when it comes to me. If my grapes are good, then I'm doing the job right. Um, I just, I, I would think the people that I taught the most to are the people that I work with. Like Diana, my tractor supervisor, she never drove a tractor in her life. She worked in the tasting room. And I remember watching her in the tasting room and thinking, this girl should not be in the tasting room. And so I just came to her one day and said, you want to work in the vineyard? She's like, well, what would I do? I said, you drive tractor. She's like, oh, I don't know. So would you want full-time hours? Yeah, <laughs> okay. And so she came here and she is one of the best tractor drivers I've ever had. Um, the crew that I had before, um, one of the ladies that worked with me, her name was Ellie. Um, I taught her how to drive tractor. She was the first female tractor driver in Oregon, and she kicked ass. She drove the on-target sprayer, which is not the easiest thing to drive. She could drive every piece of equipment out here. And I think that was like my, one of the best things I feel like I had ever done is, you know, just bringing her out here. And she's just a little, little tiny thing too. But man, she could hook up her PTOs and she could do all the work that she needed to do. Um, and so I think that just bringing people out and teaching them how to do things that they would never do, you know? But as far as teaching anything about what goes on with the vines or anything, I mean, I can definitely answer questions for people, but I don't know that there's anything I could teach anybody, you know? Again, I'm not that academic, so, um, but if you wanna come out here and learn with me, I'm more than willing, you know? I don't care who comes out here. If you wanna learn, you wanna learn. So, um, and if I can just say something back to Ellie, her being the first female tractor driver here, she was really good at what she did. Um, she passed in 2017 in an accident in the vineyard, but I just want to give her her props of she never got, nobody ever said that she passed away and nobody ever said she was one of the first Hispanic female tractor drivers out here because the Hispanic women weren't driving the tractors. That was, she was looked at as like crazy. All the ladies thought she was crazy because she wanted to drive a tractor. So I just want to give her 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 ups and that, you know, she was one of the first people and she was really good at her job. Um, and she's not with us anymore, but everybody needs to understand that that was a big deal. You know, that's a big deal when you can get somebody involved in something and the culture was really hard on her, especially the men, really hard on her. Um, but she came through and uh, did a really good job. And so I think that's probably the best thing that I can do to people is teach them how to do stuff like that. I, we mechanic on all of our tractors. If they break down, we do have a gentleman who comes out and helps us, but if we can fix it, we're gonna fix it. I, I'm not gonna bring somebody in to do it. I don't have a full-time mechanic. Um, Diana knows too, you know, something breaks down, she learns how to fix it with me, she can do it herself next time. 
Um, and it's always been that way out here. Anybody that drives a tractor, you have to work on it too. You're gonna clean it at the end of the day. You're gonna respect it like it's a $60,000 piece of equipment because that sprayer and that tractor you're driving is like $100,000. So when you put it down that you're driving a house around in the vineyard, that's a whole nother story. Or I would always break it down like this. So you're driving like one of the best Audis you can get. I'm a huge Audi fan. So you're like driving the S7 that's just came off the line treat it like that and I, you know so that just teaching people that it's not just a tractor you're not just a tractor driver you're not just a field worker you are super important out here so maybe that's it maybe that's what i've taught people that they are important no matter what place they hold out here no matter what place they hold out here we need them that's all the questions that i have for you is there anything i didn't ask that i should have anything that we didn't cover that we need to cover i don't think so all right thank you so much uh, Thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time to share your stories with us and take and share this beautiful space with us. Yeah. And if we could get you to give us a little uh, vineyard salute to the camera before we uh, before we turn it off, that would be awesome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, fantastic. thanks, you guys. It's great to have you out here. Thank you. We'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.